Hello and welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber. I am sitting here with Andrew Hunter-Murray, James Harkin and Anna Chizinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with you, James. Okay, my fact this week is that on their birthday, every beef eater at the Tower of London gets a gift of a free bottle of beef eater gin. Nice. On their birthday, singular. That's so do nice. they all? Do they, they, own, all... they only hire people born on the twentieth of September. <laughs> They're like <laughs> racehorses. They all get their new age on the first of January. No, um, it's every beef eater on that particular person's birthday. They get one oh. bottle of gin, and the beef eater gin brand is nothing to do with the beef eaters. Um, but I went to the Tower of London this week, and I spoke to my friend Andy, the beef eater, and he said <laughs> that basically the beef eater gin brand have got so much out of the beef eaters over the years that it's the least they can do to give them. <laughs> A bottle of gin every year it's very sweet so did you go to the beef eater pub i went to the it's called the keys and it's the pub inside the tower of london yes i did go there that's very cool that's cool yeah i was reading about it so there used to be a lot of pubs in the tower of london yep. this is the last remaining one? there's just one left which means if you fall out with any other beef eaters if you have beef with them <laughs> you have to go to the same pub all the time that's terrible there's a sitcom sure i would watch that. in fact there's a soap opera set in the tower of london pub you're that right yeah. really good you're yeah. right because they, they get up to quite bad behavior sometimes and they have done traditionally so i always thought of beef eaters as these sort of like eminent uh, bastions of like british stateliness and other words like that <laughs> but um actually uh, they were historically used to kind of be drunkards i think in the 18th century they were known for creating havoc and for um, illegally subletting their rooms out to other people <laughs> they would just randomly sell on the post of beef eater to make a bit of extra cash whenever they wanted uh, yeah they were known as scoundrels you could only do that once like once you sold it, it belonged to the other person and then they might sell it on afterwards. Yeah, unless you stole it back from them in the night. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly how it worked. I think you basically got money off them and then they had the ceremony. And the ceremony to become a beef eater, you get a little kind of cup, a little pewter cup, and you drink some pot and you do a, um, a toast and then you're a beef eater, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Imagine oh. if we could just sell our jobs to other people. You can if you want. I mean, well, I'm in talks with a few guys. <laughs> Alex Bell is pretty interesting. In the toast, it's a reference to that, isn't it? Because they do the toast with a port. And then I think the thing they say when they're toasting a new beef eater is, is it may you never die a yeoman warder? So that's they're officially right. yes. called yeoman warders. And that's because the idea was if you made the mistake of dying in an office, then you've been an idiot because you hadn't sold it on in time and made that extra cash. Yes, yep. exactly. It's like dying after or not selling a house in the years before you die. Yes. to go just on a rampage with the money. Is that what you're going to do, considering <laughs> you do have a son? Yeah. I, <laughs> good point. Um, and they, they were really unpopular in loads of ways. So as well as selling their jobs, a writer historically said they have gradually assumed to themselves the more lucrative op- occupation of stopping everybody who wishes to visit these objects of our national pride and glory and forcing themselves upon them as their guides. So the guards would just say, hey, do you want to guide a tour and pester you until you gave in and gave Is them some money? Right? Yeah. yeah. So Andy the Beef Eater gave us a guided tour <laughs> this week. And I got to say, if you do go to the Tower of London, do get a tour from the Beef Eaters because they are amazing and they know all sorts of stuff. 
But you were duped into paying for it to the one you should have <laughs> He's well, robbed you. <laughs> um, I read this thing about the beef eaters. That, so I think London, uh, anyone coming here, there's a famous fact about the cabbies, the black cab drivers having the knowledge. It's, a, it's one of those things. They have to memorize every single road in London, and that's a test they take. There's a similar thing that happens with the beef eaters. They have to memorize what's known as the story. And it's 900 years of the Tower of London's history. They need to know it word by word within six months of passing their probation after being sworn in. Yeah, but you now get these uber beef eaters <laughs> who come in and they just read the story off their Kindle on the phone. I don't think we know why they're called beef eaters, do we? There I are lots of theories. The yeah. yeah. story we were told on the tour was that um, it was because they were paid in beef, which they know mm. definitely is true, or paid in meat, okay. which they know definitely was true, and that the people outside kind of thought, oh, look at these guys eating all that meat. And so it was like an insult kind of thing. It makes sense. I mean, and yeah. they're, they're part of the, the royal household. They eat lots of meat. They eat lots of beef. Uh, I, I've, have, see, I've seen other people poo-pooing like crazy that story. That's just, oh, right. <laughs> but it, just, it just makes so much sense. It seems to be like one of those things that you can't really poo-poo. It's like, yeah, they ate loads of beef and they're called beef eaters. Do you have a better theory you've read? There are, I've read two or three. There's one which is sort of, it's from the French, bouffete, which is a different word meaning something else. Yeah, that's um, clearly nonsense, isn't it? What? Why? Because that is such a convoluted way to get to the word beef eater <laughs> rather than just they ate loads of beef. I think <laughs> eating beef... And it, were paid in it. There's probably something... <laughs> Who gets paid in the beef? But we know they, they were paid We know that it. they were, yeah. We know they were given a stipend of beef, which most people it's weren't just, able to eat at the time. And we know so that people took the piss though. out of the royal household for uh, having because they ate so much beef around that time. I think Andy's right. There's so many holes in this. <laughs> I just can't I just see. don't believe it. But it could I don't be, believe it. you know, it could be that it's it came from something else and then it was um, helped by the fact they ate lot, lots of beef. Right? Yeah, exactly. It could have come from buffetay. And then I'm, I'm not buying it. So well, what does buffetay But there are... There are beef eaters today. The ravens eat raw beef. They today. get fed raw well, beef the, from wow. Smithfield Market. The beef market. eaters probably eat beef. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you going to explain your definitely more plausible, weird French origin convoluted that, one? You, I'm, I'm I, did, I did read this and I thought, yeah. well, that's clearly bollocks. But, but go the, on. So the thing <laughs> is, the, the beef eaters began, um, they're called the yeoman guard of the king or queen, right? Mm -hmm. uh, well, they're called the yeoman warders, which is part of a larger group called the yeoman guard. And they're kind of the bodyguard of the king or queen. But it started in at the Battle of Bosworth in 1485 uh, when Henry VII um, won the crown and all these guys who'd helped him who were from this northern regiment he brought them in and they became his bodyguard. But Henry VII will have been an English-speaking king. So if it was further back in Norman times, you can kind of see where the French thing might have come from. Yeah. That's a good point. Whereas Henry VII actually hailed from Wales. Did he? Yeah, the Tudors were all a Welsh family. Is there any Welsh word that sounds a bit like beef eater? <laughs> Taffeta? <laughs> it could have come from bee feeters. Like yeah. bee. What's yeah, a like feeter? The, the, the bee. Like, you know, a feat, like you accomplish a feat. With a bee? Yeah, I with mean. a bee. Bee racing or Yeah, something. exactly. So maybe they were famous for their bee racing back in the day. Oh, and they got yeah. known as the bee feeders. Yeah, that's good. Maybe the bees, the bees were the original ravens, you think, <laughs> that they trained. Or maybe there was originally another group called the A feeders who did lots of exactly. feats. Yeah. And then they kind of died out. And then the B feeders came in. Bingo. The less good feeders <laughs> who could never got onto the A team. Maybe. I'm just saying, there's a lot of explanations. You're right. <laughs> um, did you see, in, when you were in the pub, James, I wonder, there's apparently a framed photo of Rudolf Hess. I took a photo of it. <laughs> did you? Yeah, yeah did you? of his signature as well. 
Wow. Yeah, he, he sort of signed. They asked him for a pin-up photo, basically, because he he was a senior Nazi who was imprisoned there briefly in 1941. Yeah. I think he defected. Everyone else was taking photos of all the pictures of beef eaters and stuff, but I clocked the um, signature of Rudolf Hess and thought I got to get a photo of that. Well, you've got a large collection of Nazi signatures. <laughs> <laughs> Instantly, you recognised it. Seen um, that cabinet behind the fake bookshelf in your house, right? <laughs> Oh, that, okay, that makes sense. He, did he defect? Because uh, it sounds like a, when he was there, a lot of people collected his signature, I and think, that feels odd. I think he flew over with his family um, to Scotland via Norway. So the, yeah, I think he came over. I think typically there weren't many Nazis arrested during the war mm, yeah. on the German side. Yeah, but he yeah. was prisoner, wasn't he? Was he? Yeah. I didn't realise Hesse had defected. He wasn't just drinking at the pub. Yeah, but if, he you, was... if you defect, they don't just say, oh great, well welcome to Britain, here's your, here's your home. Yeah, no, they, he was in jail. At yeah, the they arrest London. you and then they sort of ask you a few questions. Yeah, yeah. Are you sure you're Rudolf Hess? That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. But then he did um, get tried after the war, didn't he, and committed suicide in prison, Hess. I'm not saying it's a happy ending to the story. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but also, let's not waste too much sympathy on the guy. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, if you got the Rudolf Hess, uh, yeah. everyone else is doing bee feeders. Yeah. Did you see the framed photo of Bruce Willis? I didn't see that. Did you no. not? Ah, there's, there's... I saw a framed picture of um, the Duke of Edinburgh. Okay. I didn't see Bruce Willis. Well, it says amongst the things that you'll find there, there's a ceremonial axe, which yep, is in the saw corner. That. saw that. Photos of guests like Bruce Willis and Tom Clancy. The, I don't uh, know author. what Tom Clancy looks like. No one does. So that does could he look be... like the Duke of Edinburgh? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And you've got face blindness. So actually... I would recognize Bruce Willis, perhaps. Right. If I was stood next to someone who said that's Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah. uh, no, I didn't see that, but I wouldn't. You know, there's lots of pictures there. Yeah. Do they have pictures of their final prisoners? Because they should do. And actually, I didn't Ooh. read that they did. But their last prisoners were the Cray brothers, oh, weren't they? Were I, they the very last prisoners? Yeah. Wow. Which I seems think was. so odd. No. Such a weird coincidence. Well, it's, it's because of their national service, right? Yes. No, I know. But it's odd that it's them. Yeah. Um, that it's someone famous. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. So this was in 1952 before they were famous. Um, and they had just... <laughs> <laughs> Where are they now? <laughs> um, and they'd failed to report for national service and they'd been on the run for ages and then they'd uh, been caught by a policeman who was like, you didn't report for national service. And I think they they punched him. Yeah, and but I think their regiment was based at the Tower, of, based London. At the Tower of London. Yeah, which so is bizarre. Weird. And Cray Brothers, for any overseas <clears throat> listeners, they're the very famous mob London gangsters. Uh, they, 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 they are godfathers, basically. Played by Tom Hardy and Tom Hardy in that movie. That's right. Mm. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Here's a tenuous link. You mentioned the Duke of Edinburgh just there. I did. So the Duke of Wellington, okay. a completely different duke. <laughs> um, so the famous Duke of Wellington, the one who won the Battle of Waterloo, he was the constable of the Tower for mm. 26 years yeah. after the Battle of Waterloo. Wow. And he completely changed it. So he did this huge reform program. He stopped people selling their jobs as beef eaters. And he drained the moat because lots of people were getting cholera, basically, because it was so you know sort of stagnant. And he also closed the Royal Menagerie which used to be based at the Tower of London. Yeah. And it was he closed it because people kept being killed by the animals. Oh, really? Um, you used to just be allowed into the monkey room. There were no barriers. Just, but the monkeys would eat you, would they? <laughs> well, so they might nibble on you. The, well, that's kind of it. An account, the account was that a monkey tore a boy's leg, quotes, in a dangerous manner. Wow. Yeah. Um, an assistant keeper accidentally let a lion and two tigers into the same room, and they started killing each other. A wolf <laughs> escaped and ate a terrier. 
Like lots, there was just constant accidents happening because there were these wild animals there. Wow. Yeah. And so when that guy came in, that's basically when they count the beef eaters from, really. Beef okay. eater number one was that guy, and then beef eater number two was his mate, and then so on, so on. Um, they don't really have records for the previous ones because they were oh. so often sold between people. Mm. But from that guy to the present day, there have been about 400 beef eaters, and that is fewer than people who have been in space. Wow. 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 Have any beef eaters been into space not to my knowledge okay. <laughs> so the guy who was the constable um he historically um was allowed to keep all livestock that fell from tower bridge into the river <laughs> so anything that fell from the bridge into the river he was allowed to keep it again that sitcom is going to be a, there's going to be a great episode where the constable is trying to push livestock <laughs> off the tower bridge <laughs> into the river and for every foot of livestock that stumbled into the tower moat he received one penny Quite Wait. hard to retrieve a cow from a moat, I would have thought. I think you've earned it if you do that. Wait, so yeah. if a donkey puts one foot into the moat, you get one penny? One foot in the moat, it could be the name of the sitcom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I believe that's right, yeah. You yeah. mentioned ravens before. Um, yeah. The idea that they would be fed beef from, an, what was it, an East London? Smithfield Market. Smithfield Market. So the Tower of London, one of the employees there, and I'm not sure if he counts technically as a yeoman warder, but he's the raven master. Mm-hmm. Yes, he is. He is so he is a beef eater. Yeah. So yeah, so they hire this guy who his whole family lives there. They have a house and he just has to look after these ravens because of an enduring myth that if the ravens left the Tower of London, England would fall. That's basically a ceremonial role just to fulfill this little yeah. myth. And I've met him. He's he's a really cool guy. I've done a stand-up with him. We did a stand-up okay. together. Yeah, Chris, he was really cool. He must have a lot of very relatable stories. <laughs> um, did yeah. he bring his ravens? Because ravens bring... are very good at talking. Are they? Yeah, corvids are uh, famously the best birds at kind of being able to form almost yeah. human-sounding like words, and they're extremely clever. Ah. And so he's trained them up to do some quite I cool th- stuff. I thought he was getting bigger laughs than I... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Random from table four. This guy's great! <laughs> Bring us more beef! <laughs> that, was, that was a genuine problem, wasn't it? When there was the... Um, the Royal Astronomer was stationed at the Tower of London while they were waiting for the Greenwich Observatory to be built. Um, and this was John Flamsteed, the first royal astronomer and while the observatory was being built he was trying to do his astronomy at the Tower of London and the ravens kept pooing on the telescope <laughs> and so oh. he said can you please remove all the ravens and King Charles was going to I think it was Charles II was going to and then said oh no I've heard that the crown will fall mm. but for him it will have been quite close to the last time the crown fell right Charles II uh, that, yeah I suppose it was so it, he's just come back he's yeah. just restored the crown I can understand why he's worried. Yeah. He's what paranoid. I'm You're right. It's yeah. totally understandable. Like these days, I think no one seriously expects that if the ravens go, then no, Andy's looking at me like he does. Well, this guy would be out of a house and a job, Chris, if they go. Uh, yeah. Well, they do disappear He's got, a, he's got a stand-up career to fall back on. <laughs> I, I should add, uh, it was a night of historical talks. He happened to be very funny, and it was mainly stand-ups doing it. Uh, his talk was on Jack the Ripper, so it was okay. a bit dark, actually. Jack the Ripper, it. more like. Hey. He's an expert in crows. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it's time for fact number two, and that is Andy. My fact is that the economic activity of the Roman Empire can be measured by studying thousand-year-old ice in Greenland. Wow. Wow. That's mad. Amazing. It's so cool. Okay, so it takes a tiny bit of explaining. So a group of scientists have released a new study which is all about measuring the Greenland ice sheet. There's a miles-thick ice sheet covering a huge amount of Greenland. 
and we know when ice forms because we know how much snow falls and it packs down and it becomes ice and it gradually gets deeper and deeper. So the scientists have been studying the period between 1100 BC, 3000 years ago, and 800 AD. And they've been measuring the chemicals in there. And one thing we know from that time in history is that Rome was making lots of coins and the production of the coins, the coins were silver, but they produced a lot of lead pollution because they were using ore which contained lead. That lead wafted all the way across the world. It ends up in Greenland. It gets rained down, packed into the ice. And since 1999, scientists have been measuring the lead levels corresponding with exact years in history. And they've, they can produce documents now showing that, for example, um, when Rome devalued its currency in what? 64 AD, there was less silver in each coin, so there would have been less lead produced, so there's less lead in the ice yeah, yeah it's so extraordinary it's nuts it's it really good it doesn't help people in ancient Rome who want to know whether to invest in things no it doesn't sadly <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah they they follow I think they've debunked a thought that uh, when the Roman Republic fell the economy was booming and they've actually worked out that when it came to the fall of the Republic the lead amounts in the ice actually show that it was undergoing a bit of a recession and stuff like when, when Rome took Carthage they got all the Carthaginian mines so suddenly there were mining a hell of a lot more silver and you can see that exact year of the Carthaginian invasion from looking at the ice how far away is a distance that we're talking here from the mines to the ice it's thousands of miles thousands of miles it just shows you how strong wind is doesn't it (laughs) that's my main takeaway well I just if you think about (laughs) I'll tell you what's weird the the prevailing wind in the world goes from Greenland to the east because of the jet stream so how is it going? It must wow. be going all the way around all the world. All the way around the world. That's I don't know about that, by the way. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it, does, it's, it makes sense, right? But it's yeah. like, you know how as well how um, there are sheep in Wales that have been affected by the Chernobyl radiation? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. that's carried through the wind. And it's, in the Lake District. And yeah. in the Lake yeah. District. It's just wind is, you know, it's <laughs> And that, that got there even faster than this 2,000 years. <laughs> Wait a minute, though. Chernobyl also, also to the east of the Lake District in Wales. But that didn't go all the way around the world. So maybe my jet stream theory. (laughs) It feels like one might be more complicated than just the one big gust going around the world. (laughs) Is that not it? There might be a couple of different directions. I think this is very powerful flat earth evidence. Yes. I'll probably be shouted down in the comments about this. (laughs) One explanation for it going the wrong way is, as one person pointed out, this is the um, hypothesis at the moment, but for instance, it ignores the fact that China existed and was doing quite well around that time, <laughs> as I think like Western scientists and historians always have a tendency to do. And it could well be that China was just producing massive amounts of silver or lead or whatever that was influencing it. Uh, but we, we don't know, but, but it could be that something was coming from the East to affect it. But it does seem to fit in with these things in Rome, doesn't yeah. it? So for instance, there was a plague, the Antonine Plague, which they think, they're not sure what caused it, but lots of people died. It might might have been smallpox, it might even have been Ebola. Um, and it, this was in a, between 250 and 262 um, when 5,000 people a day were said to be dying. And the amount of lead being produced then obviously went down because people had more pressing things on their minds. <laughs> yeah. um, but they assumed 250 AD, who was it? Christians. They assumed it was to do with the Christians, and so they basically sought out as many scapegoats as they could, and they mm-hmm. kind of executed a load of clergy and stuff like that. Wow. Oh, did it, wow. Did it work? Did it work? Well, we no longer have... Have Christianity. <laughs> 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 On that, um, the 
a lot of people think because it was so persecuted during this plague that kind of made Christianity a lot more um, solid as a religion and that's kind of what one of the main things that made it such a worldwide religion in the end wow there you go bully someone and make them stronger yes no (laughs) don't bully someone no don't bully someone but if you are being bullied you'll come out of it stronger okay is that right that's the healthier message yeah. yeah um so just quickly on this whole greenland ice lead thing um have you guys heard of claire patterson uh, does she is she the uh, Venn diagram middle she, of all those words? <laughs> She's a he actually. He was a scientist. Ah, he was an amazing guy. I wish we could do a whole podcast on him. He was trying to find out how old the universe was in the 1950s. Okay, so it was it, that involves calculating how fast uranium decays. Um, but he found massive lead contamination everywhere he went, and it drove him mad. There was all this lead showing up that shouldn't have been there. He tried and tried and tried to build this incredibly lead-free lab, basically. He scrubbed everything, he cleaned everything for years. He founded, basically, the first ever clean laboratory. And he proved that lead in petrol was bad. And that was... he. Oh, was that him? Yeah, he was the guy who demonstrated, later in his career, that modern Americans had 600 times as much lead in their bodies as ancient Egyptians. It's all thanks to leaded petrol. Yeah, and so as part of this research, he went to remote spots in Greenland and Antarctica and measured the lead much further down. So this is one of the stories of the last two millennia is massively increasing amounts of lead. And that led to all these efforts. It led to all the efforts to cut lead out of petrol, for example. Really? Yeah. Because the person who invented putting lead in petrol was Thomas Midgley. And that was a really good invention because it stopped knocking in engines. Right. Um, So when it first happened, everyone thought, this is an amazing... Oh, just putting lead in there, that (laughs) solves this massive problem. Yeah. There used to be all these little explosions in a car engine, basically, is when you put kerosene in. Okay, and, and, and that's they, knocking. And, they try, and yeah. it's called knocking. And they tried hundreds of different experiments and chemicals to try and get rid of the knock. And once it did, that uh, was huge. It made cars a real thing. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. This guy sounds awesome. Yeah, he does. But it's very um, bad for you. We should say lead, lead is bad. Lead is so bad. Lead. Well, isn't it true um, that the a lot of people put the fall of the Roman Empire down to lead in the pipes? Their plumbing was that. Yeah, their plumbing was made of lead, and so they were lead poisoned, and that supposedly killed off a lot of the rich people. Don't know if that's true. Well, I've heard. So, Roman miners, they knew that lead was bad because they shielded themselves by covering their mouths with animal bladders, incidentally. Um, So, a lot of people knew that lead was bad for you, but they still kept the pipes being out of lead. I think some people said, even at the time, are we sure about this lead stuff? Yeah, yeah. right. And everyone said, no, 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 it's fine. Would people ha- at the time have died a sort of, they would have just slowly got ill and it would have looked like, oh, you've got a flu and then it, or would it be instant lead? Not sure what lead- symptoms of lead poisoning. Oh, yeah. Ooh, ooh, ooh. I think I you go a bit mad, don't you? you I just do. wonder how long it would take if someone sinister had replumbed... Rudolf Hess, for instance. Rudolf Hess <laughs> replumbed the city of London with lead piping. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? How? super villain's plan to subtly change subtly. every, every single one. How long... There must be better ways. But how long before I mean, we just, would notice... Just the fatbergs in alone... In yeah, life. it could be done. A supervillain rises to prominence in Thames water, right? Yes. And slowly starts saying all the replacement pipes have lead in them. And then 40 years later... No, what, it's really <laughs> weird. Your body thinks that lead is calcium. It mistakes the two chemically. And it absolutely shreds you on the inside. It, it gets in the way of all your neurotransmitters and sends them uh-huh. crazy. It weakens the blood-brain barrier, so you're more vulnerable to... It has about 30 different horrible effects on your body. Well, so your body tries to do the same stuff with it. 
as it does with calcium, like build your nails and things like that. And uh, teeth. Yeah, do you have and bones actually... made of lead? Can I... we start drawing with our fingers? <laughs> <laughs> There's no lead in pencils, Dan. Ah, okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, oh. I don't know the full details. Yeah. Well, anyway. It wouldn't be super efficient, though. You couldn't guarantee what to a, wipe everyone out. What an infrastructure-based Bond movie that would be <laughs> over a period of several decades. I just wonder at what point would someone know, like, hang on, I think what London is suffering from is everyone's being poisoned by lead. I'm looking forward to this movie called Leadfinger. <laughs> he does all this in London, but also can write things with his finger. <laughs> um, I have a few things about uh, great things found in ice. Mm. Um, so in southern Yukon, um, they have had ice melting uh, recently and there's a big patch that's melted and underneath it they found all this caribou dung that's been sitting there held in the ice mm. now what's interesting is there is no caribou that exists in southern Yukon but what it's done is it's confirmed one of the oldest oral history stories that have passed down from the First Nations people as, uh, as it says in the article the First Nations people of the area who claimed that the land used to be roamed by caribou so they did these tests on it and they've discovered that some of them are hundreds of years old the dung some are thousands of years old so an oral history that's made it all the way through that was thought to be wrong has been confirmed, confirmed yeah, yeah. Cool. frozen deer in ice are actually a bit of a problem now though Aren't they? So there was that thing last year, I think, which was about the permafrost melting in Siberia. And when the permafrost melts, then it starts exposing, and this is because of global warming, it exposes the dead bodies of things that have died of bad diseases. And I think it exposed a reindeer who had anthrax poisoning and it had anthrax poisoning in 1895 but it released the anthrax back into the atmosphere and i think someone died of anthrax poisoning actually really yeah and now scientists are saying that you know it's as it melts and global warming advances on us and it's going to release all sorts of old stuff like bubonic plague is yeah, going to i've heard small mm. strike out smallpox pox is going to come back yeah this is a good uh, sequel for your movie dan yes the next movie the supervillain moves to siberia with a hairdryer. <laughs> no, comes, comes... The largest hairdryer in the world! No, he comes back here selling ice cubes to everyone in London. They um, melt they in the house. In yeah, and everyone dies when they have a cup of water Why with ice. Why are all these films set only in London? Because <laughs> it's James Bond, he's British. Yeah, true, yeah. yeah. Um, I really like this fact, okay, because it's um, sort of a historical thing being revealed by science and it's kind of an exciting crossing of those two academic worlds. And something quite similar to that was, you know, the Saddleworth Moor fire fires this year. Yep. Um, so that was in the Manchester area, obviously. One side effect of those fires is that it's going to release all of this long lost pollutant from the Industrial Revolution oh, because great. it's, I know it's exciting. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're all going to die in some way. Well, no, just the people in North Manchester. <laughs> yeah. Just my family, really. Yeah, I'm really sorry about that. You yeah. should give them a call. Yeah. Um, but the reason for this is that the peat is an unbelievably good store. So, you know, people talk about peat being a really good carbon store. So it holds it for hundreds of years. It's also a good store of other substances and pollutants. And then the fires just set fire to it all and release them all into the air. Oh. So we're getting to now inhale that deliciously wow. smoggy stuff that the Victorians and inhaled. And kind of rain down, I guess, right? I don't think you'll be able to see sort of bits of 19th century coal falling out of the sky. No, but I mean, sometimes <laughs> you get that, don't you? Like when it's been, like it picks up sand from the Sahara and it rains down in... Yeah, mm. might, might get a bit be. more smoggy. But you won't be able to tell it's 19th century coal particularly. There won't be a top hat raining down with it or a pipe. <laughs> hey, that could be the third film in your trilogy, Dan. Yes. Pete Finger. Pete Finger, yeah. <laughs> no, he's a sex offender from Rochdale, I think. Yeah. Now, um, in this, you would need a the villain to 
to create a gust of wind that sends all the peat from Manchester to, to London. London. But could he maybe do this with his giant hairdryer? Yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, all right. So the villain of the second film has survived into the third. Because last week we did mention that they're looking for a new director of the Bond films. <laughs> and I think we're only cementing our pledge to become that. <laughs> Fact number three, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that the umlauts that are used for the band Motley Crue are purely decorative. They're not intended to have pronunciation. However, when Motley Crue first performed in Germany, the crowd didn't know that and chanted, Motley Crue! Motley Crue! <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Now, this is this was uh, tweeted by Wikipedia a couple of days ago uh, since we recorded, and um, we needed proper verification on it, and we got it from Tommy Lee, the drummer of Motley Crue wow. or Motley Crue, um, who said "ha ha tra Nick" um, to someone who asked him on behalf of us. So yeah, we've got confirmation. Uh, yeah, that they were Motley Crue. Oh. It's very exciting because the metal umlaut is purely decorative. Motorhead had it as well. Mm. Um, Maximo Park. Maximo Park. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's very, very exciting. Um, it's a proper verification from a real source, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is also awesome. I was looking into Tommy Lee, if you don't know who he is. So he is the drummer of Motley Crue. He's married to Pamela Anderson. Married so. to Pamela Anderson, responsible for the leaked porn video as well. I don't know if he leaked it, but famously her porn video, uh, there are two, he is one. God, this is a real trip down memory lane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, is yeah. that one I of the you, first you, celebrity well, stories I was the, aware of? You were the boom operator for that film, weren't you? <laughs> <I> was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for about 15 years that Tommy Lee was the same person as Tommy Lee Jones. Yes. And I used to watch Men in Black and be like, I can't believe this guy. <laughs> With Pamela. Yeah. yeah. He does have a surname, Tommy Lee, but he doesn't use it. And I only just learned it before we started recording. What is it? It's bass. And I reckon he doesn't use it because he's the drummer. Yeah. So yeah. that would have just been confusing. Very, yeah. Whereas just shoving umlauts left, right and centre yeah. that aren't supposed to be pronounced is absolutely fine. So it's just a convention in metal bands, right? Well, it, I guess not just metal bands, because I just learned as well that Jay-Z used to have an umlaut in his name. Wow. Yeah, he over, I guess, okay. well, he doesn't specify. He just said, I used to have an umlaut. And he uses punctuation quite oddly. He had a hyphen to begin with. He got rid of the hyphen. His latest album came back. He not only came back with a hyphen, but in all caps as well. So Jay-Z is now shouting at you. Yeah. Um, and he, he admitted that he used to have an umlaut Do you there. not think we should have an umlaut in our name? Or maybe some kind of punctuation? I think they definitely. It seems like a no. surefire way to make yourself sound hard, basically. No, no such thing as a fish? No, because then we sound like we're from Yorkshire. <laughs> <laughs> no There's thing. no such thing as a fish. <laughs> <laughs> fine line between heavy metal and Yorkshire. <laughs> if, if, has Jay-Z ever done an autobiography? He has, yeah. Is it called J to Z? <laughs> It's not, and it should be. Why is it not? Okay. And I'm pretty sure it is an A to Z as well. You're kidding. Yeah. No. No. I'm pretty sure. To, who does an A to Z of their autobiography? That's quite a fun idea. Matt Lucas did it. We should write an A to Z book. Yeah, but you do. <laughs> so B is Bond, but what do you do before that? Oh, uh, yeah. Um, antenatal, I guess. Nice. Yeah. It's not as good as the movie ideas. I think we should stick um, to another sequel of those. Um, so on the metal umlaut, um, the first band to have an umlaut was called Amon Duel the second. That's A M O N D U umlaut U umlaut L, wow. and then two I's. 
Um, but that is fair enough because dual is a Turkish word which has umlauts in it. Ah. Um, and the first band to give itself a spurious umlaut was Blue Oyster Cult. Oh, oh yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. Which over is which letter? Over the O in oyster. Ah. Ah. And the longest uh, continuous umlauted word in the world Go on. is ya. So <laughs> J-A-A-A, all of which have umlauts above, R. It's Estonian, and it means the edge of the ice. So when you get to the edge of the ice, you're yeah. <laughs> That's good. Uh, so yeah, punctuation. Um, yeah. So that I think we've covered before the interrobang, maybe on QI, which was, uh, that was something that actually appeared on typewriters in the 60s, which was a question mark and an exclamation mark that were elided, which means you're asking a question, but like, are we going to the cinema today? In a really excited way. <laughs> I had a really sad childhood. Uh, that, was, that was the kind of thing that got me excited. Um, but another thing that the language has always been hunting for is ways to show irony, right? So mm. people have always been trying to invent... Oh. Um, bits of punctuation that show you're being sarcastic and actually the first person who suggested a way of doing that was a guy called John Wilkins and do you remember John Wilkins? Nope, no. He is the guy who also was the first person to plan to put a man on the moon and designed no a way. rocket for it, Oliver Cromwell's brother Yes, in law. so was he suggesting that ironically? Uh, it was all <laughs> one big joke that got out of hand um, yeah he also wrote his main thing was he wrote this huge book on how to change the language and he said you should have an upside down exclamation mark to show irony wow. they call that the sark mark don't they yeah, they do yes for sarcasm Yes. yes. Uh, just on another symbol that uh, didn't kick off, I read this fact, and um, it's hard actually to verify it. Um, so I'd be interested to know if anyone can get to the bottom of this. But Haggard Hawks, who's a fantastic Twitter account and has a few books, put this up saying that in the in 1580, English printer Henry Denham proposed using a reverse question mark, so a sort of mirror imaged question mark, to indicate when a question was rhetorical, which would be very useful. If you were an author, would it? Yeah, yeah, it would. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we think that this might, we're not sure if this is true, right? Because mm. we've not found anything earlier than the 90s, 1990s of yeah. um, evidence for it. Although Denham, he did invent two different types of question mark, one for yes, no questions, and another one for questions that begin with WH, like why, where, what. So you had two different question marks so for those. What was that for? Why do you need a special question yeah. mark to let you know the question begins with WH? Cause In case it's you... been such a long sentence that you can't remember <laughs> the word it began with. Well, I think the reason that we don't still have them is because um, they're not that useful. Yeah. <laughs> but he was the first person also to use semicolons with any kind of regularity. He, wasn't, oh. he didn't invent them, but he was the first one to use them regularly. Oh. Nice. Uh, and consistently. He also invented the word... Um, parathesis for brackets which later became parentheses oh wow oh he had a huge influence yeah so he was a massive kind of um punctuation dude yeah. but yeah. <laughs> huge in that world um, amongst all the greats well semicolons i didn't realize that some people really hate semicolons yeah. basically mm. so george orwell he hated them so much then he wrote a novel called coming up for air it was one of his early ones i think and he put no semicolons in but then he was a bit worried that no one would notice that he hadn't put any in so he wrote to his publisher saying I haven't put any semicolons oh, in here. God. Oh, man. <laughs> so childish. I know. One of the great writers. Yeah. Yeah. Hemingway as well, very much so, played with the rules of punctuation. But he only did so with the claim that he knew it so well that he was able to go yeah. beyond 
yeah the I acceptable think, i think that's quite true. normal yeah as in that's quite standard i would say people like hillary mantel and rachel cusk do that but it's because you can feel they've got such a good grasp of it that they're mastering it rather than just spewing nonsense onto a page <laughs> and then going oh yeah it's just because i'm so familiar with the art yeah yeah so william blake would sometimes put a full stop in the middle of a word <laughs> what a maverick <laughs> is that because it was to be read and he wanted the punctuation of a word to be broken up i or? don't know I mean, he also saw a lot of angels so uh-huh, <laughs> it might have, he might have been taking dictation from them guys the punctuation point i need all the time is a question mark colon and i can't believe this isn't a thing when you're writing an email and you're like what about these points and then you give a list and i always uh, yeah. put a question mark followed by a colon yeah. and it looks stupid it's, I think that's the most essential piece of punctuation and no one's ever come up with one as far as I know. Yeah. Yeah. So how are we going to fix it? Um, Is it a question mark with two dots at the bottom? With a sideways yeah. oh. umlaut at the bottom? How, no, how about a second dot underneath the first dot? So that's it's raised I mean. up. Like a, si- a, a sideways umlaut. Yeah, yeah right. Guys, what about a second dot in the middle of the round bit of the question mark? Like oh. an eyeball. Like an eyeball. Or a nipple. <laughs> Let's make the question mark a bit sexy. I think dots at the bottom makes more sense, doesn't it? We could call them question norks. <laughs> okay, no. Oh, God. Maybe not. That's descended. That's actually making quite a highbrow point initially, I um, thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's time for our final fact of the show, and that is Chazinski. My fact this week is that traditionally indigenous Hawaiians had personalised chants for their genitals. <laughs> and that's unusual to the Hawaiians, <laughs> is it? Uh, this, is, it's, this is so amazing, all of this uh, stuff about indigenous Hawaiians and the, what they associated with their genitals, which I spent a lot of time reading about this week. But I should say, I read it initially on the BBC. It was such a cheat. It was a series of amazing sex facts from around the world. And I saw that and I couldn't believe I hadn't heard it. That's not a cheat. This Is that not a cheat? No. It felt like a cheat. Um, You're allowed to get your... Yeah, facts from anywhere. I actually went to Hawaii to try and find something and I didn't find anything. <laughs> I went to Hawaii, stood in the airport and did a chance about my genitals. <laughs> Not allowed back in the United <laughs> States. So <laughs> this started being recorded from so the 18th century when Cook and others went to Hawaii. And yeah, it turns out that indigenous Hawaiians would give their genitals a name or their parents would give their genitals a name almost as soon as they were born. And they'd also design, they'd also write a song for them and sort of have a story around their genitals and it's called the Mele Mai the genital chant and it describes that individual's organ so you had to sorry you had to name your child and then you also had to name your child's genitals it's hard enough mm. to find a good name for exactly. your child isn't it have you Do you reckon of- they had books <laughs> <laughs> the perfect name for your child's genitals <laughs> I named uh, my child's genitals after his grandfather's genitals <laughs> <laughs> One example that I found was <laughs> Queen Liliuokulani's Mele Mai uh, was the story of her vagina and it was called Anapau, which meant frisky. And it was about her frolicking genitals that went up and down, apparently. Mm. So, okay. yeah, they, they used to frolic. It, um... the, this, I think the source of the Beep the bee article was this paper by a guy called Milton Diamond who mm. studied a lot of uh, Hawaiian sexual yeah. uh, traditions and culture and things about nudity as well. So this is really weird. Um, nudity was not sexual. No. Uh, the, in almost all contexts. Um, you only started wearing your clothes 
uh, over your genitals when you hit puberty, and that was out of respect for your genitals. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, but nudity for adults was symbolic of death or punishment or lamentation. And if you were seen nude outside a ritual context, it was widely assumed that you had gone mad with grief. Yes. So it's not, it's not as sexy. It's, it's really not. Nudist beaches, very sad places in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> it could also be used as uh, an appeal for forgiveness. This paper said, so if someone's done you a wrong, then the way you ask for their forgiveness is by taking all your clothes off and following them around until they forgive you. Turn up outside their house at three in the morning. <laughs> please forgive me. Please take me back. I've done that, actually. Exactly. <laughs> it's normally it's just my Hawaiian heritage. <laughs> is it, um, do we know if this is no longer being done? Was this for <laughs> traditional old indigenous so what happened was when the europeans came to hawaii they saw all this stuff happening but then they soon cut it all out because it wasn't very christian so uh, there was a lot of uh taking over hawaiian culture and yeah. enforcing western and then uh hawaiian indigenous people have tried to take a lot of it back but i think it's obviously quite difficult because it was lost for about yeah. 50 years so there was a meeting where they go Pe the penis chant do we want that back <laughs> in <laughs> I'm, I'm good i think <laughs> So, like, for instance, hula dancing is probably one of the most famous things in Hawaii. And Captain Cook said it was perfectly easy and graceful. He thought it was amazing. Um, but when the missionaries arrived, it was officially suppressed. Have you heard of penis blowing? Yes. <laughs> no. Well, no, I don't think you have. I've seen that Tommy Lee video. It's <laughs> <laughs> a sequel to Men in Black. Okay. <laughs> this is odd. This yes. was a daily ritual for a Hawaiian infant which is where the members of the family would blow on the penis. Just, you know, just with a stream of air. Just, and it was to prepare the foreskin for a kind of micro-circumcision ceremony. And it would normally be an aunt or a grandmother who did the blowing. Yeah. But lots of relatives were qualified to be the blower if you didn't have any aunts, so that's fine. Wait, so what were they blowing onto it? Sort of micro Just sort blowing of bacteria. onto it. No, they just, just to blow to, to protect it in their mythology. Yeah. Okay. And this is a really common thing. And there were lots of people, even well into the 1980s, for example, yeah. who had this done to them in their childhood. Yeah, and in uh, fact, there was a story, wasn't there, about a uh, man who was... was totally non-sexual, we should say. Com yeah, completely. There was a story about a man who was annoyed because he'd married a Hawaiian woman and he left her mum to babysit their child and came back and found her doing this. It was like, why are you blowing on my child's penis? <laughs> and apparently the, the mother-in-law was like, well, we, I have to, otherwise it's very bad luck, yeah. and was really worried about the baby's health if she didn't. Um, but it does seem weird, actually, if you haven't explained that beforehand. Yes, yeah. I like it's another gust of wind fact going into the... Because <laughs> maybe it does something. Interestingly, you can tell the economic activity of the Roman Empire from discarded foreskins of Hawaiian children. Oh, my God. Um, this, uh, the author of this paper... Um, is called Milton Diamond, as you mentioned before. And the only thing that I could find of uh, interest outside of uh, him writing this paper, so he wrote a lot about sex and gender and, and so on. Um, he had a big feud with a man called Money. So Diamond and Money had a, <laughs> had a big feud. And they famously got into a punch-up at a conference in Dubrovnik. Um, so Money had written a book called As Nature Made Him, The Boy Raised as a Girl and mentions it in this book, this fight. Um, and there was a lot of chat about transgender at the time, and um, so that's where they fell foul of what they thought definitions were. And um, yeah, there was a fight. Although Diamond claims he doesn't recall being punched. 
But yeah, that's the only thing. Sort of... With Diamond, he is really hard, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I have some stuff on chance. Great. Um, so this, I just thought this was really interesting. I'd never heard of it before, but uh, have you guys heard throat singing? Oh, like, like Mongolian uh, stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that. <laughs> it didn't yeah. sound like that. Though. It's when exactly I heard like that. <laughs> it actually does sound a bit like that. Um, but I didn't realise that they're creating multiple notes. Yeah, at they do once. harmonies, don't they? Yeah, with one throat. Um, so yeah, this is like Mongolians and some Inuits, and it's called a Tuvan overtone technique when it's done in Mongolia, and they can get up to six simultaneous notes no. to come out of their mouth by doing this special throat singing uh, technique, which I did not have time to look properly into how exactly it works. So all I can tell you is it involves opening and closing the vocal cords until harmonic resonances appear, and I think if you go faster and faster, different resonances come, wow. and you make different noises. Wow. But it's really cool. And then there's this one other really cool... Uh, way of throat singing which is this is an Inuit culture it's called the Katajak and two women stand face to face but super close so the lips are almost touching each other and it's like a duel a singing duel and so it goes really really fast one woman says one note or throat noise and then the other one has to respond to it and it goes faster and faster and they use each other's mouths as kind of resonators basically and it only ends when one of them like collapses laughing or runs out of breath wow. and they can go on for hours and it looks so cool that does sound it's awesome. like dueling banjos yeah but so what you were saying is so you got two people with their mouths open yeah. and I'm making a noise into the other person's mouth and because they've got a mouth there it's resonating the exactly and it makes a sound sound resonating cool in your mouth at the same time well straight after you yeah exactly oh, straight after you okay. right. so they're using your mouth as a musical instrument that is so crazy that's, that's weird. So weird I know it's fun isn't it did, did you, have you heard any yeah wow it, and it sounds cool sounds weird the yeah. throat singing the normal stuff the Mongolian stuff sounds a bit like didgeridoos doesn't it it does yes, yes. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> six notes six stop notes stop doing that in my mouth Dan <laughs> <laughs> Um, can I quickly mention, because naming of genitals is a practice that still does go on. Um, <laughs> there was a survey that was done uh, in 2015, and um, it got reported in many places because it was a genuine survey and they found that 73% of men have given their penis a nickname. Is that right? Yeah. Mm. Uh, 59% say that it was a woman who came up with their nickname for them. Oh. Um, so the survey was commissioned by a men's retailer called Giacomo. So this is a survey done through them. All so, right. okay, let's uh, a few I, nicknames. I, I can't think of anything that's not rude. Terry. So the top <laughs> the top five. Give us a, what letter does it begin with? T. For oh, so Terry. Terry. Yeah. Um, is it one word? It is one word. Um, and t- think, think, Terminator. Uh, think um, sort of Terminator. Gods. Think what? Gods. Thor? No. No, because that's just someone with a lisp with a, and also a venereal disease. I was trying My not penis to... is Thor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, this isn't a god. I was trying to put us in the ancient Greeks. Time. Oh, right. So when you said it's a god. Oh, Theseus. <laughs> no, Troy. So Troy? Yeah. Yeah, weird. Dr. Doolittle. Is that one? No, it's not. That's a shame. Russell the Muscle is. Russell the Muscle? Yeah. It's not a muscle. It's an organ. Uh, organs can have muscles in them. Your heart's an organ. It's loads of muscle. Good, good point. But, but the there penis. isn't a muscle in the penis. No. Is there? Well, I've been working out. <laughs> <laughs> I've also been kicked out of the gym. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, and my penis is on. <laughs> the table right now, Dan. Get it off. <laughs> stop blowing on it. <laughs> Andy. At Andrew Hunter M. James. At James Harkin. And Shazinski. You can email podcast at qi.com. Yep, or you can go to our group account, which is at No Such Thing, or you can go to our Facebook page, No Such Thing as a Fish, or go to our website, No Such Thing as a Fish.com. As I said last week, we've redone it. It looks really awesome. It has everything up there from ticket links to all of our previous episodes to our new book that's coming out. You can also get a behind the scenes documentary that we made called Behind the Gills. That's up there, a link to that. So uh, go there, find everything, and if you want to hear, us again we'll be back again next week we'll see you then goodbye